There is something in every family that makes Christmas official. Um, what is it in your family? What is it in your house that makes Christmas official? Is it, is it decorating the tree, maybe? Decorating the house? Or uh, a Christmas cookie baking marathon? Maybe it's just when you bust out the, the Christmas music for the first time, but, but what is it in your house, in, in your family, that makes Christmas official? Like, all right, the celebration is here. It, we're started now. Whatever it is that makes it official in your house, when you do that, when, when, that, when, the, when the music busts out, when you're decorating, when the, when the house begins filling with the smell of the, of the cookies, there's a certain excitement. There's a certain joy all of a sudden that, that maybe fills your, your, your heart, your soul, your, your, your life, and, and it's exciting for you and whoever might be in on that uh, festivity with you, your family. Um, for us, it's putting up the nativity outside. You know, if you've driven by at night, you've probably seen it. Um, and decorating the tree in the house. It usually happens simultaneously. And, and so for us, that was last Sunday afternoon, decorating, uh, putting the nativity up, decorating the tree. Uh, the kids were helping. You know, Dawn starts inside. I start outside. The kids help both. And then it usually kind of culminates and ends at the Christmas tree. So there's Christmas music playing. And, you know, decorations are coming out and the tree lights are going up. And the women last night, you heard, you heard about how that went for her last, uh, last Sunday. It all turned out well and then kind of ended with putting the decorations on the tree. And, and as they come out, certainly you, especially the children, filled with joy. There's excitement going on. Um, and I remember, you know, as, as each ornament comes out. There's memories of Christmas's past, memories of celebrations of the birth of Christ, and, and, and each one kind of brings joy. And when our children were younger, even I remember, I mean, there'd be like the jumping up and down kind of joy. You know, they've grown up a little bit, so there was still some climbing on couches and some, you know, some definitely excitement that went on, maybe a little bit of jumping. But when they were little, they would literally even jump in joy. So Monday night, so everything got set up. It was, it was, it was good. Christmas is official in the Schultz household. Um, and then on Monday night, we had our small group Bible study, and we had a, a two-year-old, a little toddler girl there, and she was just enthralled with the Christmas tree. And, and I, was, I was watching her, and literally, she, w she was just, she was walking up. She kind of knew she wasn't supposed to touch it, but yet she was walking right up, and she was just jumping up and down, jumping in joy, looking at the lights and the ornaments on the Christmas tree, jumping in joy. I, I felt like I was seeing the Bible firsthand because she was literally jumping in joy. Do you ever let yourself jump for joy? I mean, what is it that gets you not only up on your feet, but even then off your feet and into the air. I think one of the only places that adult jumping for joy is socially acceptable is probably a sporting event, right? The, the puck slides into the net. Uh, the player crosses the goal line. The quarterback heaves a 61-yard pass in the air with no time left on the clock that is miraculously caught by someone in the end zone to win the game, just as an example. 
and the crowd springs to its feet and jumps up and down in joy. Or the lone guy sitting in the dark house late at night springs off the couch and jumps in joy. But other than sporting victories, I think we're pretty shy about jumping for joy, aren't we? I mean, we, we leave it for children. We think it's childish. In our story, it was, in fact, a child who jumped for joy when the miracle of Christmas first appears. At that time, and we're going to start our text here, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary had just heard a shocking announcement. She was going to give birth to God's son, and she was filled with joy and excitement um, with, with, with all that was going on. And so she... The, the text said she hurried, she, she made haste. Uh, she went with all eagerness to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who was also expecting a child. And it must have been her joy and excitement that propelled her on this journey because she traveled over 100 miles. This would have been at least a five-day journey. And she was pregnant. She was first trimester pregnant. So this would have been quite the journey for a girl about 13 to 16 years old who was pregnant in her first trimester. And from what I've been told, that's pretty exhausting. So it was quite the journey, quite an amazing adventure. It was an exciting journey. Mary was excited about what God was birthing in her life. Are we, are we always that excited? I mean, yeah, I think you're right. We, we, I think we miss opportunities because we, we don't like to be inconvenienced, because we don't want to take the journey. I mean, I could, I could just go back in records and show you when it rains, there are people who don't come to church. God forbid it snows. There are things that we miss because we don't want to step up. We, we allow sometimes the least little ache or pain or trouble or problem to hinder the things that God is doing in our lives, don't we? Think of the things that we, we miss out on. Think of the things we miss because we aren't willing to take the journey because we aren't willing to be a little bit maybe inconvenienced because we think we're too tired because because. We've let that excitement that was filling Mary at this point maybe drain out. The enemy, the enemy wants to abort everything that God is trying to birth in our lives. But Mary arrived, and when she arrived, her first glance at Elizabeth showed the truthfulness of the angel's message. I mean, if it wasn't real for her before, it was real for her now. And it brought joy to her. This, this journey brought her joy. Do you think she was happy that she made that five-day journey? Absolutely. Think of the joy it brought her. Think of the insurance that it gave her. So we read on. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. A child jumps for joy when the miracle of Christmas first appears. So in his first prophetic act, the the yet-to-be-born John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb when Mary greets Elizabeth. The child jumps for joy because Mary, their relative, had been chosen to be the mother of their Lord. The child jumps for joy because the unborn Messiah himself was in their house. Child jumps for joy because their small little home was filled with the joy and the hopes of the redeeming Messiah that the people of God had been waiting and praying for for years. Redemption was at hand. No wonder the yet-to-be-born John jumps for joy. Now, Elizabeth understood why her unborn child was jumping for joy because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what gave her the understanding of what was going on. All of this would just be a a magical story to us if we didn't have the Holy Spirit filling us with the understanding of what this really is. Friends, the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God is the one who gives us the understanding of what God's story means for us. The Holy Spirit was the one who enabled Elizabeth to believe that that unborn child in Mary's womb right in front of her was her Lord. And I, I, think, I think God also gave Elizabeth a sense of humor because I have to believe that, that Elizabeth was kind of looking over her shoulder at her mute husband, Zachariah, when she said these words, Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Because Elizabeth saw that Mary, unlike her mute now husband, Zachariah, believed God's promises to her. You know, there's a lot for us here, friends, how how important it is for us to believe God's promises. I mean, isn't the only time we run into trouble in life out there is when we stop believing God's promises. The only time we, we, like our problems in front of us, our challenges in front of us seem uh, more than we can bear is because we stop believing in God's promises because we stop seeing that God is with us and that he has promised to be with us and that, that he is by our side when we go through the challenges in front of us. And when we stop seeing God there and when we stop believing his promises, that's when we run into trouble. It's important that we believe his promises. We have nothing to fear. So it's important that we believe his word. And if it's important we believe his promises, important that we believe his word, it's important that we know his promises and it's important that we know his word. So it's important that we uh, are in his word. Now, if, if, as, as we look at Mary's song coming up, it, it's very obvious that Mary knew the word. Mary knew the promises of God that had been given. And, and this, this poem of faith that she breaks out in 
shows that. So we've been talking about leaping for joy. Now we're going to talk about singing for joy. So Mary's poem of faith. We call it, um, if you remember the KJV, King James Version, we call it the Magnificat. That's the first word in the Latin text. My soul magnifies the Lord. We called it, we always called it the Magnificat. Now in the NIV, the title there would be Mary's Song. We call it Mary's Song, even though, as far as we know, she didn't sing it, she spoke it. But what is this? It is a, this is a confession of her faith and joy in what God had done for her and in what God is doing for all of us. And her faith, as you, as you hear the words of this song, her faith is so certain that she speaks of the final victory as being already accomplished. That's how certain her faith is. So we look at her song. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My, my soul exalts glorifies, magnifies, makes large, makes great, praises the greatness of the Lord. Notice she didn't say, my voice glorifies the Lord. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord. Kind of like Psalm 103 verse 1, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. So all that is within me magnifies the Lord. How often do we praise God with our voices and with our hands, but not with our hearts? It's embarrassing, isn't it? Um, how often maybe we mumble through the words of worship, but thinking about something completely else? Or even how we, we, help, we help out, we help someone out with our hands, we're praising the Lord with our hands, but we're doing it out of duty. We're doing it out of guilt. We don't want to be doing it. We're not doing it with our heart. God's truth, Mary didn't go to this little town, the hill country of Judea, because she, because guilt, because uh, I better do this, better say hi to Elizabeth. She was running out the door. I'm picturing her just running out the door. I don't know. Like she, her, she was propelled by joy. And God's true joy, and when God fills us with his true joy, that, that moves us, that, that empowers us, that leads us to magnify his name with all that is in us, with our soul. And when you're doing something, when you're jumping for joy, when you're, when you're doing something because you that joy in you just propels you, I mean, there's nothing like that. You, you will remember those experiences. You, you will enjoy that. You, you will, those strengthen us. And when God's um, joy fills us, that leads us to magnify him with all that was in us. She goes on. My, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary sees God as her Savior. Not their Savior, her Savior. So, I mean, any, any church that teaches that Mary is holy or sinless, I'm sorry. Mary needed a Savior just like you and me, and she saw it. She humbly saw that. She sees God as her Savior. She needed Him as a, her Savior. Can we see the same? So, 
instead of, um, instead of living in denial? Oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. I'm sure God will look down. I'm sure I'll be fine. I'm sure I'm a good person. That's living in denial. Instead of blaming other people, well, yeah, I'm better than those other people, those other sinners. Or, you know, it's, it's their fault that, that the world is going to pot or, or whatever. Blaming other people? Well, I, I didn't really, it was, if, if so-and-so wouldn't have, you know, got me angered, then I wouldn't have lost me. Blaming other people. Instead of living, instead of blaming other people, taking responsibility. Saying, I am a sinner. Say that. Have you ever just said that? I am a sinner. Say it out loud. I am a sinner. Okay, that's what Mary's doing here. God, my Savior, I need him to save me. And and we, we need to walk through life realizing that God is our Savior, that we need him. That is the humility that we need to walk with. That is the humility of faith in Jesus Christ. She goes on. Verses 48, 49. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The the bride-to-be of a carpenter was about to become the mother of the Messiah. Mary knew and understood what a great privilege this was. And she humbly acknowledged how generous and how gracious that God had been with her. And her, her prayer, this, this song, which is like a prayer of praise to God, um, acknowledges God's greatness and the holiness of his name without asking for anything. She, she couldn't have put it in a more humble way, realizing that everything she had was from God. And then she says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy extends to those who fear him. What does it mean to fear God? Because we use that word a lot of ways, right? Well, to to fear God, in in this case, his mercy extends to those who fear him. This is not being afraid of his punishment, okay? Because we've heard that perfect love drives out that kind of fear. Okay, we, as believers in him, we don't live with that kind of fear. So what, what does it mean to fear God? God. Maybe this illustration will, will help you. I want you to imagine I want you to imagine that you are about to be introduced to somebody famous who you admire greatly. Someone who you have hero worshipped. And right as, right as you are reaching out your hand to shake this person you admire so much, to shake their hand, all of a sudden it hits you. You can't believe that you are meeting this person. <laughs> and then with great shame and embarrassment, you realize that your, your hand is sweating and shaking. And, and, and now you, as, you try to, as you try to talk to this person, um, you, you're just stumbling over your words. You, you, can't even, you realize you can't even talk and, and you're saying stuff that's stupid. What's going on? Why are you shaking? Why are you sweating? Why are you, why are you saying dumb things? You're not afraid that he is going to hurt you or punish you. 
but rather, rather you're afraid of doing something stupid. You're afraid of saying something inappropriate. So this, this um, your, your, your joyful admiration has a fearful aspect to it. You, you're in awe, and you don't want to mess up. So if, if we even do that with human beings, then how much more shouldn't that be our proper response to God? That's what it means to fear God. Just having that kind of admiration that we don't want to mess up because we admire him so much. The fear of punishment is a self-absorbed kind of fear. Uh, that happens to people who are wrapped up in themselves. But those who believe the gospel, those who know God's grace, God's undeserved love, they grow in, in joyful, yet loving, joyful fear. So because of God's amazing love, because of his amazing love, we tremble with the privilege of being in his presence. And we, we look forward to, we, we, we long to honor and thank him. And we're afraid. We're afraid to disappoint him. You would be afraid. You would be afraid if someone handed you a priceless ancient Ming Dynasty vase. Okay, if someone just put that in your hands, it's priceless. It's one of a kind in the world. You'd be afraid. Why? You wouldn't be trembling in fear because you were afraid that that vase would hurt you. You'd be trembling in fear because you would be afraid that you would hurt it. Now, of course, we can't harm God. We can't hurt God. But because, see, see we have a fear of doing anything to dishonor one so glorious. And, and to, to dishonor one who's done so much for us. That's what we're afraid of. <laughs> we don't want to dishonor him. He's loved us so much. He's so glorious. He's so holy. We don't want to dishonor him. We don't want to disappoint him. We want to love him. We want to thank him. And, and what does God extend to those who fear him? What did our text say? What does God extend to those who fear him? Mercy mercy. The impulse to relieve human suffering. Mercy. That means God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. Mercy. Someone said that grace removes the fault. Mercy removes the suffering or the misery. How has God shown you mercy? God has shown you mercy in Jesus, in that child that Mary was bearing. Because all of the ways that you suffer in this world, all of the ways you run into difficulty in this world, will find healing in that child. Will find mercy in that child. Mary goes on in her song, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. God has no 
time for those who are great in their own minds. You know, the ones who, who think they are great in this world because of their wealth or their power. The ones who think they are great in this world because they are a good person. But God lifts up those who are in need. God lifts up the needy, both the physical needy and the spiritual needy. Those who aren't looking for this life to be all there is. And those who realize they have messed up and need a Savior. God lifts them up. So friends, we could say, in other words, that God has turned the tables on this world. Jesus came for, he didn't come for the rich, the powerful, the wealthy. Jesus came for everyone, no matter what your status is. God turned the tables on the way the world sees things. So in God's world, the humble are valued by God. So to the arrogant, humble yourselves. In God's world, the, the, the weak are made strong by God's strength. So to the strong, admit your weakness. Turn from your sin and turn to God for his strength and his wealth and his wholeness. True story. A military fighter pilot was performing some high-speed maneuvers, and the pilot thrust the controls for a steep upward climb, only to crash right in the ground. The pilot had somehow become completely unaware that the plane had been flying upside down. Now, isn't that a, isn't that a parable of life in the world today? going at breakneck speed, we sometimes don't even realize that we are living upside down. And, and a lot of people are crashing and they, they can't seem to figure out why. And, and, and for some of us, we, 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 it's like we don't even know if, um, we're not even sure if there is such a thing as right side up anymore. I mean, don't all roads lead to the same place? Can't you just, as long as you practice some kind of religion, won't you go to heaven? Or, I mean, can't, can't I love God, but still live the way I want to live? <laughs> no. You can't live outside of God's will and expect his blessing. You're going to be flying upside down. And eventually you're going to crash. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He will turn you right side up and he will lead you to real life. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Friends, God always approaches us in view of his mercy toward us. You know, we heard that so beautifully last night. Do you see what I see? When God approaches us, he's always viewing us in the mercy. He's not viewing us in the, in the way that you've actually lived your lives. Thank goodness. Thank our good, gracious Lord. He views us in view of his mercy. He remembers the mercy he showed us through Jesus. And the other thing there is that God never forgets his promises. God always keeps his promises to you and me. So that means that uh, his mercy is a promise we can count on. 
His grace is a promise we can count on. His forgiveness is a promise we can count on. His making all things work out for our good is a promise we can count on. His faithfulness is a promise we can count on. We can go through all of his promises. They are all promises that we can count on because he always keeps them. And can we let those promises take us on an exciting journey of joy? End of the journey here. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. What an honored house that must have been with these two cousins in it, huh? But yet, we have no idea where it was. It was in the hill country of Judea, some think Hebron, but it is gone without a trace. What an honored house it was. It was gone without a trace. And yet, the two sons of these women one being but an honored forerunner of the other, have made the whole world new. What Jesus came to do in the world and what Jesus came to do in our lives has changed everything. And that is what brought Mary on this exciting journey. And that is what led these two women to worship in joy. John the Baptist leapt with joy in his mother's womb because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the angel had told Zechariah that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit even while in his mother's womb. And so filled with the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist jumps for joy because he knew the Messiah was present. And his mother was filled with the Holy Spirit, so she began rejoicing in what God was doing here. Now, this was something that God's people had been waiting for for a very long time. There had been a 400-year period of silence. It had been 400 years since God had last spoken to his people. And the last time he spoke to his people 400 years earlier was through the prophet Malachi. And there would have been a lot of people kind of aware of that prophecy who knew that prophecy and the promise there. And those people who were aware of that prophecy would have been waiting for a certain event because the last thing that God told us up till this time through his prophet Malachi was that when the coming of the Messiah was, would be announced, when the birth of Jesus would be announced, that there would be so much joy that the people of God would literally leap in joy like calves released from the stall. John the Baptist is the first one. And friends, God wants us to have that same joy. We can't, we can't find joy in a discount on, on Black Friday. We can't buy joy in a cup from Starbucks or Tim Hortons. We can't download joy. We can't, we can't lobby for joy in the government. We can't legislate joy or make anyone feel joy. We can't win joy in a, a, a lottery or a, or a, a lawsuit. We can't, um, we can't seduce joy. We can't turn joy on with a remote control. We can't, we can't earn joy. So are we missing out on joy? Where are we going to find joy? Our joy comes from God and from God alone. The world can't give us this joy and the world can't take this joy away from us. Jesus is coming. So let's take that exciting journey with Mary. 
Let's, let's jump for joy like John the Baptist. God will fill our worship with joy. God will put joy into our worship. God will enable us to leap in joy, to live in joy, to leap in joy, and to leap over problems. God will enable you to leap over the things that have been holding you back. Addictions, bad attitudes, bad decisions, bad habits, hardships, misunderstandings, friends turning their back on you. Whatever it is that has been holding you back and putting you down, God fills you with the kind of joy that enables you to leap over that. God gives you reason to jump over problems, to jump over hardships, to jump over the situation, to jump over difficulties, to jump in joy. Why? Because Jesus is coming you know, I, I, I'm embarrassed, I, I, I'm sometimes shamed or I, conf- uh, you know, I'm convicted when, when I, I get so excited at something as trivial as, as a sporting event that, that I even find myself sometimes jumping in joy for something like that. But then I think of this thought. I think, well, what if, okay, if that's just a little bit of, of earthly joy and it fills me with that joy, what I like to do is I like to Think ahead and just think what it will be like if, if I'm still alive when Jesus returns. <laughs> if God still allows me to be alive when Jesus returns, what is that joy going to be like? Like, how high am I going to jump in joy uh, when Jesus returns? And, and I just, it, it makes, it, it, it just hard, it blows my mind to even think about it. I know two things are going to happen. I know two things are going to happen if I'm alive when Jesus returns. Number one is, I'm pulling a hamstring. I might even pull both hamstrings, depending on how old I am, because I will be unable to restrain myself from leaping in joy, like a calf being released from the stall. So I'm pulling both hamstrings. The second thing I'm sure of is that both those hamstrings will be healed moments later, because we will be with our Lord and all will be well, and we will be with him in joy because Jesus is coming, because he took that exciting journey for you and me, the journey that took him from heaven to earth, that took him in his mother's womb from Nazareth to Bethlehem to meet Elizabeth, that took him out to be born and live in this world, that took him to the cross to die, and that walked him out of the tomb. Jesus took that exciting journey for you and me, and because of that, we will all be taking that exciting journey to heaven. Amen. We pray, dear, dear Lord, forgive us for the times that we have taken for granted the joy that is in your coming and fill us with that joy and lead us to take that journey of faith with you and let all see that joy flow through our lives in your name. Amen.